Good morning. There we go. It's good to see you and be with you this morning uh, as we continue through our uh, Advent series, Heaven and Nature Sing. In Advent, we look uh, backward at, to the first coming of Christ. We, we think about and remember his coming, and we also look forward to the promise of his coming again. Um, if you're here today, uh, and, and you're, if you're a, a modern person, I can see you having, having some questions about the, the angel's song, right? Uh, Gloria in excelsis Deo. This is the, the Latin form of the song. Uh, and, and just having, uh, you know, questions about, is this, is this real? Are angels real? Uh, this whole story is about angels appearing and telling shepherds things. Um, and, and so uh, you, you might have, have some questions about this right off the bat. So I'd just like to address that. A little bit. Um, we, we all come into the world as, as humans uh, who have the tendency uh, to think we are objective, right? I, I just kind of see reality as it is and evaluate it. Good, bad, true, false, real, fake. You know, I just see things and I can just tell whether they're uh, right or wrong, right? Um, and if, and, but if we think about this for a moment, I think we, we'd have to say, and I think you'd agree, that we approach the world through the lens of our own knowledge and experience, Right? We each have our own experience. We each have our own knowledge. Uh, and so we, we, we have our own perspective. It's the only way we can approach the world. Right? So this is how we, we come to the world. So imagine uh, that, that you're at my house. We're sitting across the table from each other. And I have a sheet of paper. And, and say I, I, I get a marker and I draw a circle on that sheet of paper. And, and I, I say this circle represents uh, everything, all knowledge and all experience possible. Right, that's, that's what this circle represents. Uh, and so say I slide that across to you, I hand you the marker and I say, you, uh, you know, mark off it within that circle how much knowledge and experience you have. Right, what, what would you put? Like, I think we'd have to agree, we'd all put the tiniest amount, right? We all have such small knowledge, such little experience compared to all possible knowledge and experience, of course. Like, we, we have a tiny amount. So, so we have this little pinprick of knowledge and experience, and, and, and this is what we bring to evaluate the world. This is what we look at the world through. So if, for instance, you say, we'll bring it back to angels, if you say, uh, the Bible says there are angels, uh, but I've never seen an angel, so I don't think that angels exist, right? Then, then what you're doing is you're taking the Bible, and you're trying to fit it through your little pinprick of knowledge and experience, you see? And if something doesn't fit through there, then you just throw it out. Now, that's dangerous uh, because, as we've already said, we, we only have a little bit. We only have a little bit of knowledge and experience. And so may, maybe, and what if there's a lot of reality that, that you, you aren't accounting for because it doesn't fit through your limited perspective? And you might say, well, what, I, what, what can I do? All I have is my limited perspective. That's all. And it's true. It is all we have. So we might ask, how, how do we expand our perspective? Right? How do we grow our perspective? And one way is literature. Right? Literature, proponents of literature, of which I am a proponent, uh, argue that, that a good novel or a good poem, a good piece of literature puts you in someone else's shoes. Right? You get out of your mind and into someone else's mind. Uh, and, and all the better if, if the book is from, uh, or, or poem or piece of work is, is from uh, another time and another culture. To read, for instance, medieval literature is to experience the world through a different mind, through, through, from a different time, different values, different culture. 
Um, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, it's good to keep the clean sea breeze of the ages blowing through our minds. He says it, it protects us from uh, chronological snobbery, he called it. Right? When, when the, the, the lie that what, just what is new is better. What's new is always better than what's old. Right? It's a lie, but it's an easy one to believe, isn't it? And so literature is a way to expand our perspective. And the Bible, of course, is literature. It, it get, we, get, we get perspectives from, from vastly different times and cultures throughout the scriptures and, and the 66 books that make up the Bible. So it's a great way to per, expand your perspective, whoever you are. But as a Christian, of course, I would say we can go one step further, one, one uh, tremendous step further. And that's to say that the Bible is not only a human book, uh, a divi- but it's a divine book. Right? It's a book that's actually written by God. God inspired the writing of the Bible. So in the Bible, as we read the Bible, um, we, we enter not only a different human mind, but at the same time, the mind. <laughs> the mind from which all else sprung. If there's any proper perspective on reality, it's God. <laughs> it's his perspective, the one who made everything. And, and he wrote this book. He gave us this book. And so the, the Christian, you know, the Christian attitude, the Christian conviction, um, and I think this is really worth saying just very clearly and, and making it up front, is, is not to try to fit the Bible through my little pinprick of knowledge and experience. Right? That, that's a fundamentally proud posture, isn't it? If, 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 if I can't understand it, if it doesn't fit, if it's not, doesn't fit with my version of reality, it can't be real. If the, if the Bible and I disagree, the Bible must be wrong, right? It's, that's a proud perspective. It's rather, the Christian conviction is that the Bible is the authority on reality. The Bible is the authority. This is a fundamentally humble posture. If we disagree, it's probably, God probably knows something I don't. And so the, the Christian uh, more and more should, and we, we try to let the Bible expand and correct our perspective to be the lens through which we see the world and, and interpret reality and what's happening. Okay, so we, as we come to the scriptures, we, wanna, we, we stand on the scriptures. There's nothing, like God's perspective is the perspective. That's, where, that's the only one we have. It's the best one we have to come from. And we stand on it as, as our authority. And, and according to the Bible, um, there's more to reality than meets the eye. Right? It's, really, it's really wonderful, as we'll see in this passage. There's more to reality than meets the eye. We've been looking at the songs of Luke. We've looked at Mary's song. We've looked at Zechariah's song. And today we look at this, the, the angel's song. Heaven, heaven itself sings today. Um, and, and we're going to see uh, what it sings for and what it sings about. And so three, three things today. Heaven sings uh, first for history. Heaven sings for shepherds. And lastly, heaven sings for us. Uh, let, let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive in to the text today. I just want to give you a moment uh, in your seat to, to pray for you. Would you ask God to speak to you today? Would you also ask uh, for your neighbor, whoever's on the row with you, even if you don't know them, but God knows them. God knows who they are. He knows their name. 
Would you pray for them that God would speak to them? Lastly, would you pray for me? Would you ask that I would be faithful to God's word and that I would be helpful to you? Father, you know that we need you today. You know that we have nothing without you. Um, Lord, we, we are so distracted. We're so... Uh, <laughs> we, we have, have so much uh, darkness and fog and, uh, and, and just, just distractions in our minds. Um, and you're the only one who can break through those things. You're the only one who can shine your light into our hearts. And so I pray that you would. By your spirit, you would speak to us. Uh, you would say what you want to say. We would be open to, to whatever that is um, and, and, and receptive to you, um, as you as you speak today through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Heaven sings first for history. Heaven sings for history. Um, I just want you to notice in, in, in one through seven uh, just how historical this really is. It's, the details of, in this are incredible. Um, in two one, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. The whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. There was a registration, there's a census. Caesar Augustus, the ruler of Rome, called for a uh, registration. We need to know who we're ruling. And so, uh, you know, call, call the census. Uh, and and it's, it's such a, uh, right, a, a governmental thing. It's such a, like, a administrative, you see the administration of the Roman government here. Uh, and, and you can almost see Luke is writing for Theophilus, remember? Uh, and so you can almost see Luke addressing an objection, like, like, like Theophilus might go, oh, which registration was he talking? He's like, oh, the one when Quirinius was governing Syria. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The first one when, when he was uh, governing Syria. That, that's, that is what we're talking about here. And so it's such a, a historical uh, event, you see. Um, and, and everyone had to go to their hometown, their ancestral, their, their, you know, where their family was from, uh, to be counted. And so Joseph has to go to, uh, to Bethlehem. And you can imagine Joseph, when he first hears about this registration, going, oh, the Romans are always interfering with our lives. Mary's about to give birth. We're gonna have to make this journey on a, on a donkey. This is not gonna be fun. Um, and so, but verse four, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in a cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Again, very historical. These are not, you see, this is not a mythology. It's not an a epic poem. This is, doesn't read like, you know, uh, like Gilgamesh. Like, this is, this is history. You see, it's, it's Nazareth, Galilee. You can look at the map in the back of your Bible. It's northern Israel, right? That's where Nazareth is. Uh, and then he had to go south, way south, past Jerusalem, into the region of Judea, past Jerusalem, all the way to Bethlehem. They made this journey. Um, and, and, it, and while they were there, right? While they were there, Mary goes into labor. 
There's not a place for them to stay. You can imagine at this registration time, um, all the motels are filled. You know, like every, every room is, is, uh, is booked. Um, and so they, they have to find a place. They, they, they find, it seems they find a, a stable, some kind of a cave, some place where animals, uh, animals stay. And this is where Mary gives birth to her firstborn son, it's very normal. She wrapped him tightly in cloth, right? This is what we still do with babies. When they're, what do you do with a baby? When wipe them off, wrap them up, swaddle them. You know, that's, that's the normal thing to do. It's the normal thing then. Um, what's not normal is that they, they laid him in a manger, Laid him in a manger, and as a, as a, a father, uh, you know, a five, we we had had kids early and often, uh, and so we I've put kids to sleep in a lot of different places, uh, and so I really appreciate their ingenuity here. You know, Mary's holding the baby; he's just like, I gotta I gotta set him down. Like you can't set him down; we're in a stable. Like no, I gotta set him down somewhere. I put him on the floor. Put him on the floor. I can't put. Clean out that manger. You get some new hay in there, right? And then they lay him in there. Um, I, I like the ingenuity that they're they're very practical parents. Uh, but they lay him in this, in this feed trough um, because that's where they are. Uh, again, it's wonderful, the, de- the details of this. This is, uh, this is an event that happened. It's being recorded for us. Verse eight, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Okay, again, normal event. Verse 8, normal historical event. The shepherds were out there. Shepherds had to watch the sheep at night. That's when predators would come. Um, in, the, in the Middle East today, you can go see shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks by night. Very common occurrence. But then what happened was not a common occurrence. Uh, an angel stood before them. Right, The glory of the Lord shone around them. Now notice, uh, the, uh, this is this is the, there's no uh, there's no hint that uh, the historical nature of this account has stopped now and now we're in the the mythical or the uh, the religious the theoretical no it's it's just what happened next in the story well an angel appeared to them right if if there if the angel if the shepherds would have had wristwatches on you know and this interaction maybe took twelve minutes their their wristwatches would have kept ticking this wasn't a suspension of reality this would happen in time in reality when the shepherds went up and they looked it would have been twelve minutes later this happened now you notice it says they were terrified and a lot of us wish we could see an angel. Um, but we we should think twice about that actually uh, because every time an angel shows up in scripture. People are terrified, right? These are not little, cute, chubby, cupid angels, baby angels. These are uh, warriors. They're warriors of light. Every time an angel shows up, what's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because everyone's terrified. In fact, several people in the scriptures, it says, fall down as though dead. You're just like, well, I'm, my life's over. I'm, I'm toast, you know? Like, you just think, well, this is the end because I, I can't, I, I, this is too much glory. It's too much strength. Uh, I, I'm toast, an angel shows up to them, stands before them. The glory of the Lord surrounds them in a time before electric lights. Uh, this must have been just shocking and terrifying. Um, and, then, and then look at the announcement in verse 10. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. I notice, what did the angels tell uh, the, the shepherds? 
What, is, what does the angel tell these shepherds? He gives them a historical announcement. History. Something happened today in town you have to know about. There was a birth. You see? You see, this wasn't like, you know, oh, they, the, the shepherds, they saw a light. And, you know, these days we would say, oh, it's probably a UFO or something. But back then they're like, yeah, it's probably angels. No, no, no. <laughs> the angels showed up and spoke to them in their language, spoke Aramaic, the words they could understand, and gave them a message about something that happened that very day. Today, in the city of David, a savior was born for you. Messiah, the Lord. Today. Right, they, give, he, they give a historical announcement to the, the shepherds and, and even say, you, there's a sign. You, you, you want to know how, you want to verify this, this, this message? Go, you're going to find a baby lying in a feed trough. How unlikely is that? Right, you'll find him in a feed trough. And then verse 13, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, right? And again, you got to think not, uh, you know, chubby babies. You got to think warriors of light, okay? So there's one terrifying warrior of light and then boom, there's 100,000 shining Spartan glorious warriors standing on the hillsides all around these shepherds and saying with one voice, and it must have sounded like Niagara Falls, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors, Heaven itself sings. Heaven praises. And I think it's worth asking, what, what inspires their song? Right? What, what, brings the, what brings angels to the point where they go, they overwhelm in, in, in poetry, glory to God, right, in the highest heaven. What, what, what brings them to this? Notice that, that it's content, historical content. It's the message that they just relayed, right? There was a savior born today. And who is the savior? He is, he is a savior. He came to save people. He is Messiah, this promised king, the one that, that for thousands of years, the Jewish people have been waiting for, the one prophesied in the Old Testament, the one who would come and establish his kingdom and reign forever and ever. He is the Lord, God himself. They sing because of, of history, because of what has happened. And in the same way, as, as this, this, this historical content inspires the angel song, I think it's worth saying as well that the, what inspires our worship is the same thing. I think some people think Christian worship is just emotional manipulation. It's just like, you know, just, we just sing songs because we want to have just warm fuzzies, you know, and like just be, be kind of, you know, feel good for a little while while the song's going. Now, is some Christian music emotional manipulation? Yes, certainly. But at its core, it's not. What the church sings, right, not for feelings, not because of feelings, Right? Why does the church, why do we sing? It's a weird thing in our culture, don't, don't you know? Like, where else do you sing <laughs> together in public? Like, it's sort of a strange phenomenon, isn't it? But the church has always sung. Why? Because of content. Because of historical events. 
because there was a savior in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago who was born and he is Messiah. He is the Lord. This, this truth, like this reality is what, is what causes us to well up and causes us to overflow in worship and in song. Right, the, the Christian, I love this about our, our faith, right? That, that the Christian answer is never to be, just be, just distract yourself. You know, that's what, the world, that's what the world throws at us all the time, isn't it? Oh, you feeling bad? Just w- watch some Netflix. Oh, you, you, you down? Get, get on Amazon Prime. Just do a little shopping, right? Spend some time with family. Do, do, like, do, some, do something to distract yourself. If that doesn't work, oh, go, go to alcohol, go to drugs, just anything to numb the pain, Christianity doesn't do that. Christianity never says, don't look at the darkness. You you just pretend like it's not there. No, no, the Bible faces darkness very squarely. But instead of saying, just distract yourself, what does it say? It says, no, the darkness is real. But you know what? There is a light that has pierced the darkness. Something has happened. Something happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago in Israel that changed everything. Remember, Christian. Remember the truth. Remember what you know. There's a Savior. And he is Christ the Lord. Heaven sings for history. Next, heaven sings for shepherds. Heaven sings for shepherds. Now, this is an unlikely choice, right? It's an unlikely choice for a birth announcement in at least two ways. First of all, it's just an unlikely choice in general. It's unlikely that there would be this birth announcement at all, ever in history. Why? Well, think about God, right? God, the God who created everything, infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent, the, the one who holds all things together. Why would that being, that person, care about tiny people on a tiny planet in a tiny galaxy in a vast universe? Why would, why would heaven even notice us? Right, it's, it's, it's a, it, and this is a biblical way of thinking. Psalm 8, got it on the screen here. When I, when I consider, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what's a human being that you remember him? Son of man that you care for him. It's unlikely at all that this would happen in time, in history. Oh, but here we, we find, don't we, the wonder. If we begin to get, get our minds around that, we begin to see the wonder of the incarnation. Why, why would this infinite, beautiful, majestic, perfect God, why would he wrap himself up in hum, human flesh? Why would he put himself into our world that he made? Oh, he must love us. He must love us. It's unlikely that this would ever happen. But second, and the second reason it's unlikely, 
uh, is that the shepherds were unlikely, they were an unlikely group in society. They were unlikely people in society for this announcement to be made, right? If you were, if you were a Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, when he has a son, what does he do? He sends out uh, throughout the whole, uh, the whole empire, right? He say from, from Rome, it's from the palace steps, a new Caesar Augustus has been born. Right? This is good news for people. Maybe if you were an elite Jewish family in Jerusalem, there'd be an announcement. There was a baby born. But this wasn't in Rome. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't even in Bethlehem, a small town outside of Jerusalem. It was in the field outside of that, <laughs> outside of the small town. And this wasn't to the elite. It wasn't to the rich. It wasn't to the well-connected. Who was it to? It was to shepherds. Shepherds were, were the, the working class of the first century. Right? They, they, were, they were outsiders. They, they, they didn't have a great reputation often. Um, they, they weren't able to participate in, in the religious life, go to the temple, because they were out in the fields. They, they, it was shift work. If you couldn't be anything else, you'd be a shepherd. You gotta work late, you know, gotta work night shift. Be out in the fields. And this is who the announcement is made to. Why? Well, if, if the, the message would have been made to the elite, to the rich, to the well-connected, what would we think? We could think, well, this, this message must be for those who've got their act together, for those who've made it. But it's not to them. It's to shepherds, and I think this shows us that this message is for everyone. Right? This message, not only the, me- not only the words themselves, I'll bring you good, good news of great joy that will be for all people. Okay, that's, that's a, a universal message, isn't it? That's, that's all people, that's great. But also the very form of it, who it's to, it's to shepherds, shows us, oh, it really is to all people. <laughs> it's even to shepherds. Oh, and then it... Can't we say it's even to us, to all people? This, this is a pattern. This is how God works. Right? This seems to be a, a pattern even throughout Scripture. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says this, brothers and sisters, he's writing the church in Corinth, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Do you see, he chooses the lowly. And, and that is so that no one may boast. That is so, so he gets the glory, he gets the praise because it's all of grace. It's all a gift. If God has loved us, if he's given us peace. And so heaven sings for shepherds. Lastly, uh, heaven sings for us. Heaven sings for us. You might ask uh, another question and that's, why is this announcement only to the shepherds? Right? This is God. 
He could do whatever he wants. He could have had an angel show up to every person on earth and say, if my son was born today. He could have had a, a, you know, angels show up to every person in Israel and said, my son, the Messiah is here. But he didn't. This is the only public announcement that we know of. Right, the, the Gabriel talked to Mary, talked to Zechariah, but they were the, the interested parties. You know, this is this is the the only announcement to outsiders, one, and it was only to shepherds. Why? Why just one? Isn't this a universal message? Isn't this good news of great joy for all people? Then why wasn't it to go to all people? But I think if you, look at the, if you look at the announcement itself, you can see why. I love this. Look at, look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, I want you to notice how personal this is. How personal it is. The angel could have said, like, could have said, this could have been the announcement. A savior was born in Bethlehem today. That could have been it. But that's not what he said. It wasn't just a general. Listen, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born. How? For you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign. What? For you. You will find a baby wrapped in tightly in a cloth and lying in a manger. Do you see? It's so personal to them. The angels, I mean, the angels said this, and when the shepherds heard this, they must have. They didn't just hear this as, are you talking to someone else? Like, no, it was to, to us. The, the angels gave us a sign. The angels gave us good news. It was a savior for us, for me. What do we learn here? This good news that is universal. It's good news of great joy for all people. It, it always, and it must become personal. Right? It must become personal. This universal message comes down in a very personal way to each of us. And this is so precious. You know, God, God is infinite, which means he can relate to each of us personally, right? I, I, I'm limited, so I can only love a certain number of people at once. You know, I just have limited attention. I'm a limited person, limited in, in place, you know? I can only be one place. I can only love the person in front of me. But God's infinite. And that which means he can love, he, he can re relate to you as if you are the only person on earth. Relate to each of us as if we are the only people on earth. He, he, he comes personally to us. And Christian, do you remember? Do you remember when this message became personal for you? Do you remember when you heard that a savior was born and it wasn't just a general truth. It was it, it, a historical event. Yeah, it is those things. But do you remember when it became true for you? A savior was born. He came to save me. Do you remember when you heard that he died on the cross in your place for your sins? And it wasn't just a general theological truth. It wasn't just a biblical story. But it was that he died for your sins. He suffered in your place. Do you remember when you heard that he rose from the dead? Not in generally, but specifically that he rose and defeated death on your behalf and that in him, you have new life. Do you remember when through the Holy Spirit, God spoke this into your heart and it became real for you? 
because this is what he does. This message becomes personal. And if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, perhaps God is speaking this message into your heart today. Perhaps you've heard every Christmas, your whole life you've heard this message, of course, the baby in the manger. But you've never realized that this baby is your savior. You've never realized that this baby can give you peace. I don't know what darkness you've, you're in. I don't know what darkness you've, you've come in here and brought in here with you. I don't know if, if, what darkness of, of addiction, of doubt, of, of sorrow, of loss. I don't know where you are. I don't know what, what bondage you're under. But I do know this, that the light has shone into the darkness. I do know this, like, like Zachariah said at the end of his song, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The light has come into the darkness. Jesus has come. And he can give you peace. You can change. He can give you a new life. We could, Christians, couldn't we tell stories? Couldn't we all tell stories of how God, what God has changed us, how, what the darkness he has rescued us from? Oh, can you believe that he loves you? And maybe you can't. Maybe, maybe that's a struggle. It's hard to believe God loves me. And if that's a struggle for you, then welcome to the club. <laughs> right? All Christians, we all struggle to believe that God loves us. Why? Because none of us deserve it. None of us, we've all proven again and again and again how unworthy we are of the love and the grace of God. And yet he came. And yet he came. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. We might ask about that peace. How, how, did, how, how did this baby, how did he bring peace? It doesn't seem like he brought peace on earth at, at that time. There was still conflict throughout history. There's been wars. Even now today, there's a war in Ukraine. There's a war in Israel. There's wars all over the world. Where's the peace? What the shepherds didn't know, or perhaps the angels didn't know at this point. We know Peter says these are, the, the gospel is a mystery into which angels long to look They didn't know what, what peace would cost this baby. All right, Jesus didn't come to bring military peace. He didn't come to bring political peace, not yet. He came to bring us peace with God. He came to reconcile sinners to the Father. And this baby grew up, lived a perfect life, was executed on a Roman cross, and then he rose from the dead. 
when the shepherds heard this message, they said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's go see what this thing's been done. And they went and they found him. They found the baby lying in the feed trough and it says they worshiped. And, and, and the question is, what will we do? What will we do hearing this announcement, hearing this historical announcement from heaven that's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago? Well, we can't go to Bethlehem. He's not there anymore. He's not in the manger. Ah, but he is alive. Jesus has risen. He's the Lord of all. In fact, he's with us now. He's here. He's, he promised, I, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's here by his spirit. And so will you go to him? Or will you go and look at this savior? Will you trust this Messiah? Will you say he's the Lord? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. God, that you would even notice us, that you would even uh, take a second of your time (laughs) to consider us. Lord, we know that that you do much more than that. You've sent your own son for us. Lord, we, we forget so often what we know to be true. And so as we, as we look to you now and as we look to you this Christmas season, as we remember the truth of what you have done in time and in history, would we react as the angels do and would we praise you? Glory, glory to God. You are worthy, Lord. You are so good to us. Lord, for the person here who is in deep darkness, who's in the pit, who doesn't know where to go, who can't see any light, Father, right now, in this moment, would you shine your light into their hearts? Would they see that you came as a savior for them? And would they worship? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.